Lord God, we come before you and there are many times where our lives are filled with so much hustle and bustle or we are the ones who are doing the talking so much and there are times where we need to just sit and listen and for us to be quiet and for us to hold our opinions to ourselves. And Lord, this is one of these times. As we sit here, as we hear what you have to say to us, give us ears. Give us quiet. Give us attentiveness. Give us minds that are clear to take in what you have to say for us. Give us hearts that are broken. Restore our faith and make us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. We desperately need your spirit in this time to be doing his work amongst us. So we ask, we beg that he would be present here. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going through right now a series on the fruit of the Spirit, and this morning we find ourselves in kindness. And so we have the the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, but our passage today, particularly about kindness, we're going to be looking uh, from Colossians 3, verses 12 through 13. Uh, This is the word of God. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Amen. This is a sermon on kindness. I contemplated briefly wearing a Mr. Rogers sweater. Um, But acting kindly is more than just about morality. And so this isn't a morality sermon. One reason in particular is because as I studied this week, as I contemplated, as I reflected and prayed, and as the week continued to progress, I realized just how unkind of a person I really am. And then so sitting here and thinking, wow, preach to you all how to be kind from my own side, like it just, does, it just doesn't work. Uh, uh, really here, this is, is a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit, which are the signs of God's work within us. And his people are to be characterized as a kind people. When God is working in our hearts, he transforms us into being people who display kindness. Like fruit on a thriving and a well-watered tree, it blossoms forth from us. So this isn't a morality sermon, but this is rather, this sermon is a testament to God's kindness. It's how he forms kindness within us, and it's hope for us then in our moments of unkindness. And when we look at our hearts and we see, wow, I'm a really less kind person than I thought I was. But at the same time here, kindness is also a misunderstood fruit. If the fruit of the Spirit grows from having roots which are sunk deep into Christ, then it will look radically different than our own common conceptions. And its true sense from the Bible goes far beyond what we think when we just simply hear the word kindness. And so maybe first of all, what is kindness? Popularly speaking, the word kindness is quite cliche, isn't it? How many times have you heard the phrase, just be kind? Uh, Seeing t-shirts around that say, kindness is cool. And that's a good thing. 
The idea is everywhere, but what is kindness? Kindness is not to be confused with niceness. Kindness and niceness are not the same. Someone can act very nice, but does that mean that they are kind? I tell my kids to play nice together or to be nice to each other in in the backseat of our van. But what is it that I really mean? I mean, get along. Stop fighting. Be good. Don't use certain words or certain tones with the other one. Being nice describes our actions. But being kind goes much, much deeper. Playing nice can be done without being kind. Kindness comes from a heart or an inner disposition. People spot fake niceties and so-called nice people all the time, but genuinely kind people, that is a class that is entirely different. The word used for kindness in the New Testament cuts through our cultural misunderstandings and has nothing to do with being nice or being good. The real idea at the heart, the, 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 the original Greek word for kindness is acting graciously and mercifully and generously for the benefit of others. It's a desire to help others and to be compassionate. Now, since kindness is the fruit of the Spirit, it's who God is making us into. And as he's remaking his people, he forms them into his likeness. Therefore, if we really want to understand kindness, then we need to look at God and how he demonstrates his kindness. So let's not think about this in just concepts and ideas. Let's consider God to see a little more concretely about what kindness is. We see that kindness is not giving what's deserved. And I mean that in a negative sense. Kindness is not giving what's deserved. Uh, Romans 2.4 talks about God's kindness is his patient forbearance towards us in our sin that leads us to repentance. It's his patience towards us that leads us to repentance. In other words, he doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he is incredibly patient with us. He exhibits an infinite degree of forbearance. We deserve wrath, but God is kind. And so what does that look like for us when we consider that? Well, it means us not bringing our wrath upon others, no matter how much we might think that they deserve it. It's not heaping condemnation on people in their circumstances or their squalor, particularly if if their actions are responsible for having them in that condition. It's removing certain stigmas from people, regardless how deserved or undeserved it might be. But on the other hand, kindness is also giving what isn't deserved. It's also giving what isn't deserved. It's it's in a positive sense here. Titus 3 verses 4 and 5 says that God acted in mercy to give us salvation that wasn't deserved in the least. And it talks about his kindness in reference to that. From our affirmation of faith this morning, in Christ Jesus, God showed us the riches of his grace in kindness. Not only did he not give us what we deserve, which is wrath, he acted for our benefit and our interest, even though we didn't deserve it. It was solely out of his compassionate heart of kindness. We see this then by stepping into another's poverty, whether or not we think it's deserved. 
uh, giving good things or speaking good words to others who may not have earned them. Taking genuine interest in people who aren't like us. Let's see, we also see though that kindness is giving at one's own expense. What did God do for us and for our benefit? He gave himself by giving his son. Redemption comes at his own expense. He gave himself up for us. And then when Jesus came to bring redemption, it was also at his expense. He laid aside his glory. He took on humiliation all the way to giving himself to death on the cross. And in doing so, he gives us life and glory in return. And so our genuine kindness might be costly to us. It might be financially costly. It might be costly to our honor or to our comfort. A kindness is sometimes an inconvenience. But we also see, though, when we look at God and his kindness, that kindness is generous giving from the heart. It is free of stinginess. God didn't just give us a little bit. He didn't just give us some. He gave us all we need. And he didn't just stop there. He keeps giving and giving in abundance. He gave us Jesus and everything in him. Glory, resurrection, new life, righteousness to be experienced right now. He gave himself. And how will he not give us all things if he's given us his son? God is not stingy in the least. Kindness then gives and gives and gives and then it gives a little bit more. And it even seeks for opportunities to provide and to demonstrate concern for others. See, when we think of kindness, we can't just think of actions. When we think of kindness, we first need to think about God. Because kindness is rooted in the triune God himself. The Father gave the Son who, is, who also then willingly gave himself. And the Father and the Son both gave us the Spirit who then gives abundantly to us. That compassionate, self-giving, what we don't deserve, despite what we do deserve, disposition of God's heart is true kindness. God isn't nice. He doesn't play well with others. He doesn't try to get along with us, but God is kind. And he is kind through and through. And Jesus is the kindness of God that's most clearly expressed for us. If you read the gospel accounts, you'll quickly see that he wasn't always nice, at least in how we judge niceness. He sometimes had harsh words for the self-righteous for the unjust, and for those who led his people astray. His eyes flashed with holy anger as he overturned the tables in the, uh, the money ch- of the money changers in, in the temple when they drew profits from worship. Jesus wasn't always nice in the way we think about it. But you know what? Jesus was always kind. He was kind to the needy and to the poor by giving them the kingdom of God. Jesus was kind as he reached out to the outcasts and the lepers. He was kind as he invited sinners to himself and as he sat down with them at a table. And he gave himself on the cross then to forgive their sins and to make them whole as he continues to still do today for people just like you and I. The kindness of Jesus came from the heart of Jesus because he loved them compassionately. 
So kindness isn't what we do. It's who we are. It's a disposition. It must come from within. It's not something that we tack on to the outside. So how do we become kind then? If that's what kindness is, how do we become kind? Well, you cannot will yourself to be a kinder person. It doesn't come through discipline. It doesn't come through training or just following three steps. Practically, that just doesn't work, right? How do you psych yourself up to be a kinder person, right? Especially if it has to do with acting for the benefit of others and seeking out to do their good. Like, you can't just get out of bed and like, I am going to be a really kind person today, right? And even if you remain motivated like that, do you know how easy it is to turn a blind eye when it's convenient? Or to pretend that you just don't notice others when there is an opportunity to display kindness to them? Or to even do it to just the minimum and then call it good? Willing yourself to be a kinder person doesn't work, though ultimately, because it is primarily a heart issue. Attempting to act kindly on the outside and even seemingly doing okay at it, that doesn't make you a kinder person. And it certainly doesn't make you a kind-hearted person. You can't hang apples from an oak tree and then say, that's an apple tree. It's still an oak tree. Plenty of people give to charities. That's a kind thing to do. But not all people give for noble reasons. Some people act out of genuine care and concern and a desire to see that charity flourish and the people who that charity serves for them to flourish also. That's a good thing. But just simply saying, I give to a charity, doesn't make you a kind person. You can give to a charity simply for tax purposes, can't you? That doesn't make you kind. You're being self-centered in return. We could probably, though, take a moment here and think about other seemingly good acts that are done out of a disoriented heart. And maybe even things that we're feeling a little convicted about doing. See, a person doesn't bear this fruit of kindness because of what they do any more than hanging those apples on an oak tree makes that an apple tree. Rather, they they bear the fruit of kindness because of who they are. They bear the fruit of kindness because it comes from a kind heart. And kindness then comes through renewal. It necessitates a change in the person himself, not in their actions. Kind kind actions will come from a kind disposition. You can't teach compassion. You can't teach genuine care. You can't train someone to seek for the good and the benefit of others. You can't impart for, for someone to just give of themselves. But if that person, though, has had a change in their affections, on their priorities, if they begin to have compassion and care that's, that's instilled in them, then the actions will flow out of their true self then. And that's why these are called fruit of the Spirit. They come from the Spirit who is working within us. He changes our hearts and he renews our affections to stop looking at ourselves so much. And to start looking to others and to start looking to God out of love. Now consider a fruit tree or a garden plant, maybe one even at your own house. Where is that fruit born? Those grapes, that persimmon, that tomato doesn't sprout from nowhere. It requires nourishment and life. It needs the roots sunk deep down into the good soil 
for it to bear the, pop, the proper fruit. The quality of soil determines the quality of that fruit. Right? Good soil equals good fruit. Last summer, we had some tomatoes that were growing up, and they looked beautiful as they were starting to come off. They're getting large and plump. They were still green, but we were so excited. And then quickly, they turned. The bottoms became soft, and they rotted on the vine because, it turns out, we found out the soil had a calcium deficiency. It was not good soil. We had to amend it. Good, bad soil has bad fruit, but good soil has good fruit. And it's the same with the fruit of the Spirit then. The Spirit sinks our roots deeper into Christ and we draw our life from Him. And when our roots are sunk deep in Christ, who He is determines the quality of our fruit. Good soil equals good fruit. Well, sinking your roots in Christ means that there is Christ-like fruit that is born. Our fruit then by the Spirit begins to resemble His goodness and His beauty. And Christ Jesus is so incredibly kind to us so that when the Spirit causes our roots then to to grow from Him, then the fruit which we bear in our hearts and bursting out towards others is a kindness that grows out of His kindness. It's a kindness that begins to look like His kindness because good soil equals good fruit. Christ Jesus is the fruit then of Christ Jesus. We have that same idea reflected here in our passage in Colossians 3. But it uses a different metaphor. Put on, it it begins to say. Put on. It's a clothing image, not an agricultural idea. But the meaning is essentially the same here. Paul refers earlier here in in Colossians in, in verses 9 and 10, talking there about putting off and putting on. The same idea when when we get here. Put on then. He's not talking about clothes though. He's talking about the self. He says the old self, who you were prior to Christ Jesus, has been put off. That was crucified with him on the cross. It was put to death and that's not who you are. But now though, the new self, who you are now in Jesus, that has been put on you. It's a new self which is renewed. It's it's a new creation. And Jesus himself, it's him as you are united to him, as you are rooted to him in faith. The new self there is is, is the whole person. And it goes all the way down to your inner person then that has been renewed by Christ, by his spirit. And so that call then to put on right there, as it says in verse 12, put on, it's a reference then to live according to the new self. Take up who you are. You have had Christ Jesus, your new person, put upon you like a new set of clothes. And so grow into it. Make it yours. Get comfortable in it. Clothing has this way of changing us. Sometimes what we wear, it changes our demeanor. In seminary, one of my roommates, whenever he had a big test or exam, would always wear a suit. He'd walk out the door, dress well to test well. Or if you've worn a fancy gown or a tuxedo before, what's it do to you? I feel like a million bucks. And you tend to act a little bit differently then, don't you? It brings out new traits in your person. Like you need to live in a way that's fitting for the clothes that you have on. It just wouldn't be right to 
to act unbecoming or to act like a slob when you're dressed in that way. And according to Paul, we've been given the new clothes of renewal in Christ, the new self, and the calls to live accordingly. Go about in your new self as you would in, fancy out, in a fancy outfit or, or, outfit or wearing, wearing formal wear. Let it change you. And that includes kindness. You've been given the new self of Christ and are dressed in all of his kindness. But like all clothes that we aren't accustomed to, they might seem stiff or they might seem unnatural in the moment. But the Spirit continues to work in our hearts so that we feel more and more comfortable as we live in them. We embrace them. They become ours. And hopefully then, by the grace of God, we start to move a little bit more freely in them and start to have them feel just as natural as they do our favorite pair of jeans. And that begins with a changed heart. If our heart isn't changed, then it doesn't matter how fancy those clothes may be. We're just acting or we're just playing dress up in clothes that aren't ours. You cannot make yourself a kinder person. It must come through the Spirit as he roots us in Christ, as he unites us into the new self of Christ and puts us in him. But as Daryl, though, brought out last week, that doesn't mean that we're to be totally passive. Salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, but we're also, though, at the same time, told in Philippians to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And in relation to kindness, Reflecting instead now on God's kindness gives us a better view of what true kindness is. It's the kindness of Christ Jesus and the kindness of the Father. And knowing his kindness gives meaning on how we can seek to bear fruits of kindness. We are to put on kindness, it says here, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's referring to the new self. If you're a new creation in Christ, you had nothing to do with it. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were unable to tell your right hand from your left. But it was a sovereign mercy and grace of God and his compassion that he plucked you up from death. He plucked you out of, out of the miry pit and he brought you into life. You had no hand in it. And now you're holy. He looks upon you as holy. You are set apart by God and you are given a new purpose. And you're beloved. The love of the eternal God rests upon you, even to the point of being brought to share in the love between the Father and the Son themselves. And what did you have before that? In the old self, you had nothing but sin and unrighteousness and wrath. There was no hope for you except that God is kind. And he took pity to shower you with mercy and to bring you into his family. And that speaks infinite volumes to the kindness of God. The more that we can understand that, or even perhaps just grasp it a little bit better than we did before, the more we will be brought to our knees in humility and worship. We'll be left like Job. We'll put our hands on our lips and say, I cannot speak. And who other than humble people become kind people, right? Because they recognize that all they have is from God's compassionate kindness in the first place. So then, how is kindness displayed? As we move on here, how is kindness displayed? 
What does the fruit look like? How does it taste? How does it smell? But one way that it shines through is by generosity. True generosity comes from the heart. It doesn't merely give, but it blossoms from a deep concern bubbling from the inside. It loves to give as needed and also in abundance. And it does so free from obligation. It it gives and it extends itself not because it has to, but because it wants to and, and with joy. A person bearing kindness from the Spirit as a result of their roots sunk into Jesus will be generous with what they have. Because they know that everything that they have is absolutely undeserved. And if God has given them what is undeserved, then they will then be moved to share with others. Now, when we think of generosity, many of our minds immediately think in financial terms. A kind generosity often will result in giving out of what we have from our wallets and our bank accounts. And here's the thing. Generosity isn't dependent on the amount but it's dependent on the heart. Don't get too hung up on the amount, especially if you don't have much. Jesus commended the widow for giving her two pennies over the incredible gifts of the self-righteous because her heart was in it, not because of its size. And if we're unwilling to part with our money for the sake of others, or even if we'll give but little tight-fistedly, it, re- it reveals a heart that isn't generous. And a heart that isn't kind. But we're free to give though because God loves us. And we are his beloved and chosen people. And he will provide for us. He loves to give. And as his people then, so ought to we. And sometimes he uses our abundance as a means for providing for other people. And he does that by working kindness and generosity in our hearts. But generosity takes other forms as well. It's a common American myth that all of our problems can be solved by just throwing money at them. Perhaps what's more needed is a generosity that goes deeper and extends itself even further and invites others to share not only in what we have, but in sharing our very selves. I'm referring to hospitality. Kindness shows itself through our ordinary hospitality. Genuine hospitality isn't entertaining or hosting. There's a difference there. One promotes comfort and entertainment, but the other invites into sharing everyday life. It's not concerned with wowing other people, but with inviting and opening oneself into a genuine relationship, even by bringing others into the sacred spaces of our homes. It can be simply as simple as sitting together at your table over a cup of coffee and then opening a listening ear out of genuine concern for the other. It values the other person. It has a desire to know them and to be known in turn. And it doesn't have to be fancy. And any time shared at the table doesn't have to be fancy because that's not the point of it. The point is to extend yourself and to invite them into the ordinariness of your life. There's something much more intimate with that. And that's what we as the, the leadership of Redeemer were, were committing ourselves to during the summer of 2019. We had a class on hospitality. We had a sermon series on extending ourselves because this is what we want this congregation to be. And slowly that was starting to shape our ethos. And then COVID happened about nine months later and then everyone just 
inevitably retreated. And we've all come back out at varying speeds, but now it's time for all of us once again to regain some strength in those muscles and start to flex them again and even maybe relearn how to use those muscles of hospitality. Kindness showing itself through generous hospitality is relational. It seeks to know and to be known. And that's more important now than ever in a society that has starved relationally especially as we extend ourselves to genuinely know others who may not, who others, we maybe even may not have first expected. But if kindness is relational, then it also, kindness shows itself through our words. Words don't just come from nowhere. Words flow out of the heart. And since kindness is based in the heart, then our words ought to therefore express that. James 3, 11 and 12 says that a freshwater spring doesn't bubble forth salt water, and nor does freshwater come out of a salt pond. The idea is that you expect to find what's fitting to come out of the source. And the same with our words. A renewed heart which knows the kindness of God will have words flowing forth that are tinged with that same kindness. And that means not speaking harshly to others even when we think it's warranted. God's kindness to us is not just in, in giving us what we deserve. So why would we lay into people and give them what we think they deserve? And there's a difference between words of correction and harsh words. And unfortunately, our sinful minds and tongues mix up those categories. But kindness, though, with our words is not only restraint. It's also saying the right thing. Giving encouragement when it's needed. Again, God's kindness is his giving to us when we don't deserve it. And we can demonstrate that then with our words to those who are beaten down or downtrodden or who have messed up. And often some of the most kind people that I've known are those who, who know how to speak carefully and gently either to myself or to others in times when we've needed it most. But finally, genuine kindness shows itself proactively. It seeks for ways to extend kindness to others. It doesn't just wait for others to come to them for help. Right? We like the idea of people coming to us, but we also know that when we consider ourselves, we rarely go out and ask others for help, even when they invite us to. So kindness doesn't just respond to needs. <clears throat> it looks for opportunities <clears throat> in proactive ways to serve others. And in doing so, we reflect God's kindness. God didn't wait for us. He sought after us. He came down to us, even at his own expense. And again, in terms of relationality, kindness seeks out relationships proactively. It extends itself towards others. It looks for those who are on the fringes or for those who might be unbeknownst to them. It seeks to build genuine relationships with others who are in the community who outwardly or in a worldly way may not be like them or it might be unexpected. But it does the same thing within the walls of the church here too. Are there people here who you don't know? Is there anyone here who you're maybe nervous about knowing because they seem different from you? Genuine kindness extends itself proactively and relationally. And in the end, it's God's kindness that he is making us to be more kind according to his image.
It's his kindness that he regards us with compassion in our deepest moments of unkindness. And that he's faithful to always forgive us of that because of his own self-giving nature. That he gave his son to forgive us from all of our unkind moments and our selfish hearts in all of their manifestations. And he gave us his spirit then to transform us in turn and to not leave us where we are. And even though we ourselves don't deserve it, he is working within us to form our hearts in closer alignment with his. To shape us from the inside out into people of deeper genuine care. And so as we seek to bear fruits of kindness, let's not forget God's everlasting kindness to us. and Keep our eyes focused upon him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we sit back and we contemplate the kindness that you have always shown us, that humbles us. You are so kind. You are so self-giving. And that is not just the, the actions that you have done to us, but it is or done for us, but it is, it is your very heart. It is your core. It is your essence. It is who you are. Your attributes are who you are, and kindness here is one of those. And we thank you, and we praise you for that. We pray that then we would keep our eyes upon that and upon you as being the source. Jesus Christ there as the source of our kindness, that you'd be working thoroughly to make us into kind people, that it would be not just something that we would be trying to do on our own, we're trying to pursue after on our own, but that it would ultimately be welling up from the renewal and the regeneration of the spirit within our hearts. That you would make us on the inside out kind people and that we would be quick to show it. But not only quick to show kindness, that we would be deliberate in how to show kindness. In fact, maybe even in this time, in this, in this afternoon, in this week, please bring this back to mind in ways that for us to think about how we can be kinder people and how that can shape the ethos, the culture of this congregation and the people who are in it. So that the, this community, that Santa Rosa, that Sonoma County would look upon the people, your, God's people, your people here at Redeemer and say, I may not agree with everything that they believe or I'm curious about it, but you know what? They are kind people. And would that be part of, part of how we can enter into the lives of others so that your word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, might go out and flourish in their hearts and that your kingdom might be built for Jesus' sake. Amen.